No, people, it is not action news, but it is breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. It is the Tudor Reviews podcast, people. Y'all know when y'all hear this theme, I'm going to turn it off because hopefully I don't get sued or get any backlash for that shit. I'm, I was about to say, y'all know when y'all hear this theme, it's breaking news like I, like I played this shit before or something. I think I've only played a couple TV themes or something like that. Sometimes I'll play little snippets and things like that uh, in the intros, but... You know, just just me trying to be funny here, man. I do feel like this is breaking news. I'm not the best at doing these types of episodes because I, you know, like I always say, I feel like every bit of news isn't, you know, episode worthy. But being as though it's some it's some crazy irony here. I feel like this is um, this is a proper thing to do. It's a proper thing to discuss. And I'm really going to try not to take up too much of y'all time with this today. But. First and foremost, I feel like this is a proper segue into into what I'm about to do here. Uh, you gotta say, first of all, rest in peace, shout out, but also happy heavenly birthday to the late great, the the underappreciated at times. Even though he had mainstream and you know international fame in the horror genre, I do feel like that you know it wasn't until this guy was gone. We look back on certain movies and see those nuances he tried to sprinkle into all his films to put his stamp on it. And we sometimes see some shit where he, you know, like every horror director, he's tried some different things here. Some of them worked, some of them didn't, but all that type of stuff is subjective, of course. But, you know, happy heavenly birthday, man, to the late great, the the, the one of the greatest horror directors of all time, um, Wes Craven, man. It was It's his birthday. I'm not sure how old he would have turned today. But I had to, you know, send a, a shout out to to my guy, man. Anyway, um, I like listen really quickly before we go into this and and, and you know segue this thing. I want to say that Wes Craven is definitely responsible for creating some of the most original horror properties of of all time, man. Like I know a lot of people love his humble beginnings, and don't get me wrong, I do too. But I don't gravitate towards those films as i do more so when he was doing movies in the 80s and the 90s um i think the hills have eyes the hills have eyes too i think those came out in the 70s or i think the sequel came out in like the early 80s or so i don't remember i think the hills have eyes was 1977 or was that last house on the left i don't know but those are two of wes craven's humble beginning films you know as far as the genre is concerned he also did the original swamp thing movie it's okay it's one of those movies that i have to go back and watch um I do like Adrian Barbeau in that movie, and I like, um, what's his name, Louis Jordan, or is it Louis Jordan? Is it S. Silent? I don't know, man. Somebody out there will correct me if I'm wrong, but his humble beginnings, man, guerrilla filmmaking is is what people like to call it. You know, when, you know, him and his friends, uh, you know, a lot of directors did this. George A. Romero did it. John Carpenter did it. You know, when it's a close-knit group of people who are just scraping up money, or maybe they do get some funding from a studio or something, but back then, it's like you scrape up all the money y'all got you know, um, and you, and you get these kind of like these exploitation style films to be made, man. But a lot of Wes Craven shit has, has stood the test of time, man. Uh, you know, most notedly the nightmare on Elm street. That's the thing I feel like, no, that is the thing for sure. That definitely took Wes Craven's career in a completely different direction. And then new nightmare was just something that I don't know if people were really ready for that shit. You know, they, they do that type of shit nowadays all the time. Wes Craven is, he was in, forever will be a trendsetter as far as the genre goes man because you didn't have people that were doing these movies within a movie within a movie type of thing and if you did it was sparingly used but not the way Wes Craven did it with with New Nightmare man and it's a shame that I don't think that movie was was that well received 
at the box office just because of how people responded to Freddy's Dead, which he had nothing to do with. But New Nightmare is definitely in my top three Nightmare on Elm Street movies. But then you get to, you know, when you talk about trendsetting, man, and you talk about things that paved the way and completely reestablished the blueprint for the genre, you you can't talk about Wes Craven uh, without talking about Scream. He is synonymous mm-hmm. with Scream. And that, I'm not going to lie, that notification that just went off, let me turn this volume down because that shit definitely had me startled for a second. We're sitting here talking about horror movies. And this, um, you know, this notification went off. But to, to get back to what I was saying, Wes Craven has always been and always will be synonymous with Scream, man. That is the movie that I think he said that, you know, he was signing autographs or something. And there was a kid that said, you know, I really loved Last House on the Left. You should do something that really kicks ass again. And he felt like he was getting soft. You know, he was getting soft in his old age, this, that, and the other. But Scream, man, I like Scream revolutionized i wanted to say re-revolutionized but i wasn't sure if that was a word or not but scream yeah let's be real man even though i think the 90s the horror wasn't necessarily in trouble in the 90s i just feel like the slasher genre it needed something like fresh that was mainstream and you know something that wasn't i mean it could be tongue-in-cheek but something that people could take seriously also you know at the same time also be a um you know a, a satire of the slasher genre and scream was just one of those movies they really didn't have to make another sequel or let alone several sequels which is what we're about to talk about right now um one sequel in particular that's coming up and you know if you would have had scream just be a one-off it still would have been one of the greatest horror movies of all time one of the greatest slasher whodunits of all time it plays out like a slasher movie it plays out like you know, Wes Craven said that he loved the script because it played out like a murder mystery as well. And that's true. And it does also play out like a satire. You know, I, one of the reasons I loved and will always defend Scream 3 is because I feel like people didn't un- people lost sight of the fact that these movies were never intended to be scary. You know, it was just scary shit that people found uh, amongst themselves in there. But it, it originally was to be nothing but a satire. I mean, not nothing but a satire, but that was like one of the main themes of it. You know, satire of the old slasher genre, man. But people, you know, I feel like when Scream 3 really enforced that and, you know, really uh, took it a step further with the humor and just the tongue in cheek shit and just the movie within a movie type aspect, especially being as though, you know, they were getting script pages sent to each other before they got murdered. I love that shit. But I feel like people didn't people still don't appreciate Scream 3 for playing up on the satire theme. But here's what it is, man. Um, you know, we're not going to sit and talk about Scream 3 so much. We we are going to hear, we, we are going to hear, are we here to do it? I don't know what I'm talking about, people. So let me see. This is why me and Coffee, we, we are best friends, but it's the most toxic relationship ever. But people, nonetheless, man, Bloody Disgusting dropped um, an article today. And I, I, I'm almost certain that people are about to lose their fucking minds over this. And it's okay. I'm, I'm, am I concerned? A little bit, but not really. And I'm going to explain why as we get into the episode. But for the people that are out there losing their minds, I, I, I want to do this to try to put our minds at ease a little bit if this is indeed happening. Now, these are just rumors, but the headline that Bloody Disgusting dropped earlier, it says Radio Silence reportedly not directing Scream 7. Then they got the little semicolon that says Christopher Landon in talks. I'm Ron Burgundy. It sounds like, like, are, are y'all even sure of the headlines y'all are typing? What was the question mark for, man? We could, we could have done without it, but I get why they did it. Um, I, I love, I love this headline. I do. 
uh, before I get into why I do and a little bit of why I don't. Let me just see here what they're talking about in some of these paragraphs. Um, now, part of this article says while Scream 7 hasn't yet hasn't yet been officially announced by Paramount Spyglass, we can confirm that it's definitely in the works. We've also been paying close attention to the recent rumors that Radio Silence's Matt Bet- Bettinelli open and Tyler Gillette won't be back to direct Scream 7 and that Christopher Landon, happy death day freaky, may take over. Then it says, um, how true are those rumors? We're told Radio Silence was very interested in directing Scream 7, but unfortunately they've been busy with their upcoming Universal Studios monster movie, which was recently filming under a shrewd of secrecy. The mysterious project doesn't yet have an official plot synopsis at the time, and it doesn't even have an official title. Um, okay, let me, let me just say this. We'll, we'll, we'll peel it back layer by layer, like my man Pusha T said, uh, one of the craziest diss tracks of all time when he just drank. He said, we're going to peel it back layer by layer. That's what we're going to do here. This is not uncommon, people. Now, I know that the, the group of people that love the last two screen movies and love what Radio Silence did with it, myself included, I know that we are experiencing the birth of something new with this franchise. This franchise has been, has, has, it com- continues to reinvent itself. And while I had a lot of red flags about Radio Silence directing, uh, once I saw Ready or Not play out with Samara Weaving and Adam Brody's in there, um, you know, once I saw that movie and saw the balance of horror and humor, just perfect juggling act that they were doing with these with these tones, all my red flags were pretty much put to rest. You know, I was sure that the the Scream franchise, if these guys are going to stick on board with the with the writing and directing. I was almost certain, 200% sure at that point, that the Scream franchise was in good hands and Radio Silence was going to take care of it. Now, I don't, I haven't seen much that they've done outside of VHS, but the fact that they were behind that original VHS, I'm not sure if it was the sequels, but the first one definitely is the best in the franchise. Um, scared the fuck out of me when I watched it, some of those segments. But, you know, I, I love what those guys brought to it, man. And I, I was nervous going into Scream 5, but it's like you know, God rest the dead, man, God bless Wes Craven, but it's almost like he, it never missed a beat, you know, I think Wes Craven would look on, look, look at these movies today, if he was still alive, and he would definitely be proud, like, I feel like even though if he wasn't signing on as a uh, executive producer or producer, I still feel like he was singing this movie's praises, because you do get a lot of, it's a lot of cases where these franchises go, uh, go beyond their creators, and you know you you start to get they start to get a little bitter like yeah well i didn't see any of the sequels because like i'm not saying no names but we know john carpenter does this shit we know that you know george a romero didn't want anything to do with the walking dead and they wanted to pay homage to him and we know this happens you know it happens well i don't think Wes craven would have been one of those guys like yeah well i didn't see five or six (laughs) you know i only watched the ones i directed because they're the best i don't think you know looking at the interviews and not so much interviews, but I'm more so like a commentary type of guy. But listening to the commentaries that Wes Craven has done for his films, man, I feel like he would be so appreciative that this thing has taken on like a really good life of his own so far. Um, but, you know, being as though he's gone, he obviously can't speak on, you know, the the state of the franchise. But I feel like the next best person in line to, you know, to promote and sell people on how good these movies have been is Kevin Williamson. And Kevin Williamson has been executive producer 
um, on the last two films. And, you know, he's had a hand in it. I'm pretty sure he, you know, will give his notes or whatever. But I love that gesture, man. He's like the next man up type of type of thing that they've got going on. But Radio Silence did a fucking great job, man, um, especially with Scream 6. I, you know, I wasn't blown away by the teaser when Ghostface was on the train, but then the rest of the trailers, I was like, this seems like it's way more vicious than the other screen movies. And God damn it, if it wasn't, man, Radio Silence is two for two. They are batting home runs at this point with this franchise, man. So when I say I'm a little bit concerned, a little bit. You know why? Because one of the things that I love for my franchises to have is continuity, consistency, uh, consistency in tone and and uh, even characters, you know, Wes Craven was driving the car of four screen movies back to back with Kevin Williamson writing. I mean, it was some rewrites. I think Aaron Kruger and Patrick Patrick Lussier punched up the script on Scream three. But for the most part, it's the same two guys, you know, the same two guys in the same company that are behind this this driving force that is Scream, man. And I love that about the franchise. It is airtight continuity wise for the most part, man. And Radio Silence going two for two. Yeah, I'm a little spoiled at this point because, you know, I I, I didn't believe in this at some point. It's not that I didn't believe in it. I was scared like they were going to fuck this up. Without Wes Craven, I didn't think it was going to work. But they made it such a seamless transition is what I called it during my, um, you know, I don't know if it was Scream 5 or Scream 6 commentary. I said, this is a seamless transition. It feels like Wes Craven is still on board with this thing, man. And that's not to say Radio Silence doesn't add their own flavor to the films that they did, the two films they did, but it's just, it, it, the, all the, like, the, the makings of what people like about the screen movies are in those last two films, man. It's nothing that's missing that I would really, that I would really complain about for as far as the last two movies are concerned, man. So shout out Radio Silence for, for really delivering on their promise, man. I, I respect that so much when movies are in production and you get these interviews from the director or directors in this case, and they're promising the fans something, you know, something fresh, but something nostalgic at the same time. A lot of it's bullshit, man. You go and you look at, like, look at an Uwe Boll interview where he's talking about House of the Dead. We're going to, you know, give the fans what they want, and we've got 360 cameras and all this other shit. And then you get the House of the fucking Dead movie we came out with. It's all bullshit, man. Um, not all the time, but in the case of Uwe Boll, yeah, I had to. I had to do that because the 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 imaginary beef I have with this director for being such a terrible director is is so insane. But we're not going to get sidetracked, people. Um, like, I get it. If people are, you know, freaking out, it's understandable. Radio Silence, they don't want our beloved directors to step down from this project. But this type, like I said, man, this type of shit happens all the time, man. Uh, and I can honestly see we can't be surprised if Radio Silence definitely does not come back for this. Because this happens all the time, man, where, you know, they did Scream 5. The reception was amazing for that movie, for the most part. A lot of people didn't like Scream 5. They said it was like a rehash of other movies. And that's fine. You know, again, subjective. But I feel like the majority of the feedback they got for Scream 5, Scream 5 um, apparently, I, we're not even going to talk about that. Listen, people, let me slow down a little bit because this caffeine's got me making up my own language. Because apparently Scream 5 is another sequel that's out there. But, excuse me, um... You know, the, the overall reception I feel like they got for Scream 5 is really good. 
So then they jump on board to do Scream 6 and they knock that shit out the park with no Nev Campbell. That was one of the craziest, you know, um, uh, pats on the backs I can give them for that movie. You know, they made this shit stand on its own without the main protagonist, uh, the, the, you know, the OG legacy character coming back. Uh, I mean, you had Gail Weathers. Shout out to Courtney Cox for coming back in the film. But, you know, there comes these moments with these directors where they kind of want to, I don't know, get in another car and drive it or they kind of want to take their foot off the gas here. Maybe let somebody else pick it up, because I don't know if Radio Silence just wants to be, um, you know, normally if this was an actor, I would use the word typecast. But hopefully you guys get what I'm saying. I don't think they want to be placed inside of a box and be limited to just the screen franchise directors that are taking this thing over i think that they may want to spread their wings and get into other you know movies in the genre man i almost forgot they had a universal studios monster movie coming out that's something i want to see i don't know what it is i don't know who's in it i want to know what's going on as it progresses i want listen the more news the better because if they are directing a universal monster movie especially the fact that we got such a slept on banger like the last voyage of the demeter coming out that tells the tale of dracula oh yeah i'm definitely down with radio silence um doing a universal movie monster so if they want to step down from this so they can spread the, you know let their freak flags fly a little bit i'm cool with that now uh, on the flip side of that there's a lot of people that are going to be like, wait, who is in talks? Christopher Landon. It's either going to be people saying, I don't know who the fuck this director is, or it's going to be people saying, oh my God, the guy that did that. Christopher Landon is the director of Happy Death Day, Happy Death Day to You, and Freaky. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with y'all. Oh, he's also directing the upcoming remake of Arachnophobia. I don't know if that's still going to be produced by James Wan or not, but I'm very intrigued to see what they do with that remake and i hope they don't go cg spider overload and that shit because it's going to take away from it's going to take away from everything but let me tell y'all something about christopher landon man um not necessarily him personally but the the um the movies he's done happy death day i was like oh this is like groundhog day with a slasher you know with a fucking baby face mask slasher and once the trailer finished when they were promoting the movie and the trailer finished and it was like rated PG-13, I'm like, listen, y'all, if y'all know me well, y'all know how I am. When that rating comes up, if you're giving me hard, that's PG-13. Now, listen, even Poltergeist is like rated PG or something like that. Invasion of the Body Snatchers is like rated PG, if I'm not mistaken. But it can be done, but I prefer my horror not to be, especially my slasher movies. Don't make my shit PG-13. Don't do that. I had no interest in seeing it after that. I'm not even gonna lie. But I watched Happy Death Day and I enjoyed that movie a hell of a lot more than I expected. I said the character Tree, I don't remember the actress's name, but the character Tree, she was a real bitchy character. But I'm rooting for her to find out, you know, it's like the it's like a, a, a humorous slapstick version of I Know Who Killed Me with Lindsay Lohan. That's basically what it was. She just kept reliving the same day over and over and over and over to the point where she was just getting jaded by it all. And, you know. It, it played out it worked out well happy death day to to was a happy death day to you or to me i don't listen i'm getting it confused with the happy birthday to me 80 slasher from back in the day but the sequel happy death day to you that shit was decent too man they added a little bit of sci-fi to it from what i remember but i really enjoyed that movie too so by the time you get the freaky with vince vaughn 
and the other actress whose name I can't really remember at the time, I get to that movie and I'm like, okay, is this Blumhouse's new PG-13 slasher guy? Like, give me a break. This is Freaky Friday with a slasher. You know, only they're swapping, you know, personalities and shit. Vince Vaughn's going to be the scared teenage girl. The girl's going to be the big, bulky, you know, serial killer at heart. And I kind of wrote that one off. I went and watched Freaky and I enjoyed it. It's the same shit that I loved about the Happy Death Day movies, man. And it's the same reason that I want to see Christopher Landon, you know, direct this Arachnophobia remake. Because this is a guy who, you know, whether the movie's PG-13 or not, this is a guy who's got a really great balance of horror and humor. That being said, if, if there's anybody that can step in the director's chair after Radio Silence is coming off of two bangers, it might be this guy, Christopher Landon. Now, hear me out, people. What does Scream have in common with the movies that I've mentioned that Christopher Landon has done? There's a perfect fucking balance of horror and humor. Now, hear me out. I hope I didn't lose anybody at this point. Don't don't turn me off just yet. At least let me sound like I'm completely full of shit before y'all turn it off. Scream has always had that. You are going to get murders and people with their guts torn out and hung from trees and stabbed to death in principal's offices. You're going to get people's heads in garage doors and multiple stabbings, forehead stabbings, and just all types of shit. You know, you're going to get somebody that's going to fall off a ladder and onto a dumpster at some point. These things are going to happen. That's expected. It's a slasher movie, regardless how visceral the sequels may be. Um... But one thing we're going to have is a shit ton of tension breakers. We're going to have a shit ton of moments where we can just laugh, drop our shoulders, let our guards down, maybe laugh at the person next to us that because the joke is so funny. That's one of the geniuses, uh, one of the genius things about Kevin Williamson and Radio Silence in these last two movies. The writing that's in these movies, man, the quips are there. It's, ve- it's always been very witty and upbeat, you know, dialogue and humor amongst these characters. Now, Christopher Landon, while... Blumhouse and Spyglass and Paramount, obviously, they're two different companies. So Christopher Landon would definitely have to know what he's stepping into. But I feel like while the pressure would be on him, I feel like he's definitely qualified to try to at least give us another screen movie. Now, when I say the pressure's on, like to to be better than five, I'm like, okay, like I was still a Scream 3 guy, you know, as far as the sequels go. The original is always the best for me. But Scream 3, that was always my favorite sequel. Then when 5 came out, I'm like, this is flames right here. But I don't like it more than Scream 3, but it's still probably top 5. Then, you know, Scream 6 comes out, and I'm like, this might be the best sequel. No Sydney or nothing. This may be the best sequel. It may be the best entry after the first one. It is rivaling Scream 3 at this point. It's an unpopular opinion, but that's how I feel. So to be better... And up the ante, you know, to as far as Scream 6 is concerned, yeah, the pressure's on. Because you either got to put Ghostface in the snow, take him into space, or bring him to Philly. You know, he's going to have a hard fucking time out here if, if Ghostface is in Philly. He might just, you know, turn his fucking life around to Christ if he comes out here. Because you're not creeping up in nobody's crib with no voice modulator on. You're, you're not doing that out here. You're not doing it. But it'd be interesting to see Ghostface in Philly. I mean, it's, it's a fucking horror movie out here every day. Like, literally. So it would be nice to see how Ghostface, like, you know, he's creeping around in somebody's yard, but then it's somebody that's about to break into the same house as him. Like, how would Ghostface respond to that type of shit? Damn, that's a that's a spoof idea. Maybe we'll get to that in time. But I feel like while the pressure would be on, he's he's no stranger to this shit. He's done the, you know, the teen slasher, 
horror comedy type of thing only he hasn't had a chance to really do i feel like uh as much with the tone and the violence because these movies have been pg-13 we know blumhouse they like to make to get their bang for their buck they make their movies very relatively cheap they're going to spend money but it's not a lot of, it's not really money that your average studio will spend they're going to make their movies relatively cheap but they're going to make a fucking lot of money back uh with that being said and i feel like this will be his chance to really go crazy with the r rating and i feel like he would like christopher landon is is definitely somebody i could see doing this man i know like listen there's going to be a lot of people that may do episodes and they may say oh we don't want radio silence to come back and listen i i or they, they want radio silence to come back and they don't want christopher landon to come in is what i what i meant to say but i like listen i understand man if it's one thing i hate it's multiple directors in one in, in some of my favorite horror franchises because they stop having their own identity at that point and every movie starts to feel different there's no like i mentioned earlier on there's no consistency there's no continuity and when they try to do it it just doesn't feel right like it's always nice to not know uh you know like i miss the days as much as i love you know the the internet and i love being online talking movies with y'all I, I really do miss the era where there was no internet and you didn't know who were who was directing these movies i mean if you were like a geek like me and you looked at like you know the, the newspaper clippings i looked in the little um you know, in the little credits in the, in the movie section in the newspaper clippings just to see who wrote it, who directed it, who was starring in it. I was that kid. But for the like the general audience back then, I don't think a lot of people did that. They weren't like, you know, going to the fucking public library or looking up records to see who was going to direct the next horror movie. So I miss when you didn't know who directed these horror movies and these franchises, because when they, you know, they felt like they belonged with one another. It felt like one was going into the next one, and it, it felt like they were all a part of the same thing. But I think I, I don't remember what episode I just recently said this, man. It's even my favorite horror franchises. They've got films that just don't feel like the other one. And that's a gift and a curse at the end of the day because you get movies like, for example, one of my favorite slasher franchises, since we're talking about slasher franchise right here, Halloween. Halloween 1 and 2, they are the only two movies that are that just really make seamless transitions if you if you count the, the small continuity errors they fucked up like all right how does michael have an undamaged eye after getting poked in the eye you know how's this how's his eye undamaged in halloween 2 how did he fall in the front yard as opposed to the backyard and all this other shit how do he get high waters you know how do he get shorter small little continuity errors and how did uh jamie lee curtis have the fucking judith o'day barber wig from night you know from night living dead on she had the same fucking wig only they colored it shit shiny as fuck but it's like those two movies nonetheless they've got great continuity man it feels like that is literally the same night when he attacked laurie strode slightly different because rick rosenthal directed but john carpenter was on board then you might you know you might get to like halloween four five and six all of those movies feel different four and five i guess because they shot them a year apart same locations type of thing they kind of feel different but the tones are the, the cinematography is completely different so they feel like two different films at 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 its core because the first film they've got that dean cundy type of cinematography where everything's blue foggy then you know um uh part five you've got kind of like this this yellowish orange type of cinematography thing going especially at the tower farm party scenes but you know you want you want your your favorite horror franchise to have its own identity and just to have some consistency man and i know it's not a perfect world in a perfect world we would have one director make all of these films man but 
you know, unfortunately, like I said, eventually these directors are going to want to go on and do something different and pass it on to the next person. That's what Blumhouse just did, um, you know, with David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. They were like, okay, we're going to do this one movie. We're not going to shoot this back to back with Halloween Kills. We want to see how y'all respond to the first one. Second one's coming. Third one's coming. And by the time the third movie comes, it's a wrap. We're not going to touch this shit ever again. Um, there was, there was a. Going back to the the Halloween franchise again before I before I move on and wrap this up, there was um I, I think Alan B McElroy who wrote Halloween Four. There was a commentary for Halloween Four with him and uh and Anthony Massey, and Anthony Massey asked him like, did you ever think of how you would continue the story? You and Dwight uh, Dwight Little, the director, did y'all ever think of how y'all would continue the story after this movie ended? And he's like, no, it was kind of one of those things where you make your movie, you write your movie, you direct your movie, and you put the ending out there and you just make it somebody else's problem. And he, I don't think he was saying that to be smart, but it's true. Like, you know, if I backed myself into a corner with this movie, then it's up to the next director and writer and the producers to, to get themselves out of it if you want the franchise to keep going. With Scream, I don't think they're ever going to have that problem because obviously there's always new characters to bring into the mix. There's always new twists and turns. Like our two main protagonists here are, well, one the one protagonist is related to fucking Billy Loomis from the first movie. It's a nice tie-in, man. I don't know how people, you know, if, it's, if people are getting tired of that. I'm cool with it because you see... Uh, Melissa Barrera's character just just spiraling into this fucking descent of madness and just this hereditary uh, murderous side that she can't escape. Man, I love what they're doing with it. Now, speaking of the protagonist, while we're talking about Radio Silence possibly not directing Scream 7, I wonder how that's going to how that's going to fit in with the rest of the cast, because you do have certain cast members. Now, I don't know if anybody's gotten this big for their bridges. I feel like the biggest star of these past two screen movies, uh, with the exception of Courtney Cox and, you know, David Arquette, um, I feel like the, the, the shining figure out of the entire cast. And this is nothing against Mason Gooding. I had no idea he was um, uh, uh, Omar Gooding, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son. Uh, but I, I like Mason Gooding and everything I've seen him in so far, but we know who the shining star is. That's Jenna Ortega. Speaking of Jenna Ortega, man, if we're talking about people possibly not coming back, there was a rumor that Jenna Ortega was going to be, have very limited screen time in Scream 7, or she just wasn't going to be in it at all. Now that was a rumor, people don't quote me on that, but it was like, I'm saying, don't quote me on it. Like that I'm saying it's true. It's not, it's a rumor. But if it proves to be true, I will not be surprised because she is what filming Beetlejuice 2 right now and they shut down production because of the writers and the actors strike. Rightfully so. I hope they figure that shit out. I do. But uh, if, if Jenna Ortega doesn't come back and Radio Silence doesn't come back, then, yeah, Christopher Landon is going to have a lot of work to do because there's a lot of people that are coming into these movies just to see Jenna Ortega. They got, they kind of got like, you know, the shit end of the stick because she was like bedridden and wheelchair and hospital ridden for the most part in Scream 5. But the shit they did with her character in Scream 6, oh yeah, well-deserved, man. I, now, I like Melissa Barrera a lot more in Scream 6 than 5, but goddamn, man, Jenna Ortega, she can't miss. She's amazing in everything. So we can't be surprised if she really comes out and says, yeah, you know, I want to... 
I want to do something else for the time being. Like, what if she says she'll only do a cameo, but she'll come back for, you know, Scream 8 or something like that? I don't know. We can't be surprised if we get that news, too. But that is definitely going to send people running for the hills. If Jenna Ortega doesn't come back and Radio Silence doesn't come back, then people are going to be how I was when, you know, Radio Silence was announced for Scream 5. They're going to be red flag here. This is a red flag there. This is a red flag there. Like, and I listen I completely understand because, again, you want your driving forces that are behind these films, uh, the people that are a part of making these films special. You want them to return. You want them to come back. You want them to keep adding the consistency and continuity to this shit, man. But I feel like, obviously, this, this Scream 7, I don't know if they have a script for it or what. I'm pretty sure they've talked about it. I'm pretty sure once the box office returns or opening weekend for Scream, uh, you know, Scream 6, once that popped off, they were like, yep, we're doing 7. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Uh, you know, they didn't leave it on a cliffhanger or anything like that. I love the post-credit scene where Mindy was like, every movie does not have to have a post-credit scene and then just went off. That's one of the best post-credit sequences ever. But... Uh, like all in all, before I wrap this up, people, I, I just I'm I'm going to be optimistic here. Normally, I'd be, you know, spoiled, you know, me that will just be going on rants and shit. I, I'm, I'm trying to grow out of that, people. I'm trying to, you know, turn over a new leaf before the new year, long before the new year. I'm trying to be more optimistic to things like this. Yes, I want Radio Silence to come back, man. They are the shit when it comes to, you know, tackling the Scream franchise, man, especially a, a franchise like this. They were probably like, they were small fries on set. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you did Ready or Not and VHS, cool. But this is this is a, a global phenomenon, this franchise. Man, it's one of the biggest horror franchises ever. And, you know, the fact that they did what they did with the movies, man, I will always respect them for that. Even if they don't come back, I, I will love to look back and say, yo, the guys that did Ready or Not VHS did two of the best screen movies, two of the best horror movies of each year that they came out, man. But um, if they don't come back, I, I'm going to be very, you know, optimistic as far as Christopher Landon. If it was somebody else, you know, that 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 raised a shit ton of red flags. Oh, yeah. Y'all would hear me on here bitching and complaining for sure. But it, because it's this guy, because I was so surprised with the three movies I saw of his, because I know the type of balance he can bring to a property like this. I, I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to rule it out, man. I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going I'm to stand on this hill and I'm going to stand 10 toes down on it. And I'm going to say that, you know, I I do think that he could deliver a solid a Scream sequel, man. Like I said, the pressure would definitely be on, man. You got to up to any of the last two films. But um, I feel like he could probably fit into the overall aesthetic of, of what a Scream movie is supposed to be. And it maybe it wouldn't be everybody's favorite sequel, but I do feel like he he could pull this off, man. He could pull this off. Um, and honestly, it'll be good to get him away from you know he had success with those three movies, uh, Happy Death Day, the the second Happy Death Day, and uh, Freaky. I'm pretty sure he had some some decent success with that. I hope he did. Um, and I'm not saying this to be smart, but it'll be good to get him away from Blumhouse and over to Paramount and Spyglass where he might have a little more wiggle room. Maybe he wanted to make those movies rated R and Blumhouse was like, bruh, we can't do that, man. We need to put these asses in the seats. We need to get these youngins here to see this PG-13 movie, but we got you. Maybe they were like, we got you with making another one. I would definitely, if I was Christopher Landon, jump or, you know, jump at the sight of this. If I knew that there was a possibility Radio Silence wasn't going to come direct, I would be calling up Paramount 
Paramount and Spyglass my damn self like, well, listen, I'm more than interested. You know, you can keep me keep me on speed dial, keep my name in the Rolodex. But if they don't come back for sure, let me be the first person you call. If it's not if it's not somebody that y'all have in mind right now that y'all know will do it, then keep me in mind. Have my shit on speed dial, locked and loaded, ready to go. And if I was Christopher Landon, if he hears this. And if there's been talks about this, you know, in his in his camp, he should definitely have some ideas in the tuck on what to bring what to bring here so that if he goes over to the studio and and the execs and shit, you know, he can be like, look, this is the idea I got. And if that don't work, I got this in the tuck. And if that don't work, I got this in the tuck. Meanwhile, he's just unveiling like a whole ninja scroll worth of Scream 7, you know, script ideas and shit. That's how that's how ready you got to be, man. That is how ready you got to be. I've got an uncle that told me you should always have an ace in the hole, something in the tuck so that if they like it, they're going to be like, listen, imagine Christopher Landon pitching his idea for a Scream 7 movie and they love it so much. Listen, we know this is going to be a hit. It's going to make money. It's going to be successful. People are going to love it as a whole. We want you to do part eight already. What you got? Like you want to be able to have that outline for part eight in the back pocket. Like, oh, well, here I was writing on this napkin, a, a treatment for Scream 8. Check it out. You know, you got to be locked and loaded and ready for stuff like that. But I don't know, people. I'm 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 not opposed to him doing it. I'm not, man. I'm, I'm here to just like let people know, like, let's let's if this is what's going on, let's be prepared for it for one. And let's try to be a little lenient with this. Now, I know people are very selfish and picky with their screen movies, man. This is such a beloved series. I am I'm, I feel like we've done so much, even though the, the films are so familiar with one another. I feel like we've done so much and we've taken a lot of risks, man. We've killed off main characters and, you know, kept legacy characters around uh, longer than they expected. We've not put legacy characters in sequels and saw how it worked out. Worked out just fine. Sorry, Nev Campbell. Love you to death. But we've moved on from Sidney Prescott. And, uh, you know, we've done things in this franchise. We've experienced excuse me, things in this franchise that have probably been much worse. You know, we've experienced, I have nothing against this actress, but we have experienced Emma Roberts being one of the killers. The whiniest fucking brat of a ghost face reveal that we have ever seen. I'm sorry, I'm not going to say we. I'll say that I have ever seen. I hated that fucking reveal. So if I can sit through her reveal and her whining, you had your 15 seconds of fame, now I want mine. Or whatever she said while she was whining and literally had the tone of a brat. She sounded like the little chick from Willy Wonka who was just irritating her dad, just minus the accent. But if I got to sit through that then yeah, I can deal with some changes being made, man. You know, I, like I said, I love when the franchises have, um, you know, the same creators behind it every time, but these things happen, man. These are executive decisions at the end of the day. These are business decisions and it is a business, you know, it's a, it's a, a strange business at times nonetheless man this is one of the reasons i want to be independent as i possibly can but we'll see what happens people um i'm, I'm just hoping that you know when the strike is over we do hear some um some really interesting news about the scream franchise because obviously you know several sequels in the franchise you know from 1996 to still exist in 2023 that is a great accomplishment and to still have a movie there's no movie in this franchise while i rank them a certain way and while scream 4 is my least favorite i don't hate scream 4 i don't hate any movies in this franchise they are all home runs for the most part as far as i'm concerned to have a franchise that just does not miss overall is very rare man and scream is definitely always going to be one of those gem of a franchise uh it's it's one of the gems of the franchises you know especially the slasher genre man it's one of the most consistent 
uh, regardless of the, the, the years that they have been released. But it's one of the most consistent as far as what it's been bringing to fans, man. And, I, I, you know, again, before I wrap this up, I'll say that I think this guy could I think he can handle it. But we'll see, man, if it's radio silence. You know, if they if they stick on if, if they stick on board with this, I'm cool with that, too. You know, I just anybody that's on board for the next one, y'all got to up the last one. Y'all got to be better, more vicious and take a couple more risks, because I know a lot of people out there was like, oh, they played it too safe, man. None of the core four died and, you know, Gail Weathers survived. Cool. You know, we don't always get what we want in these movies. Had they murdered every motherfucking body and left Marissa Marissa Balela. I think it's time to wrap this shit up, people. I, I was just about to say it's time for me to get some more coffee, but I don't know if that's going to be a good idea for me, people. But y'all already know where to go, man. And if y'all don't, y'all can follow the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, Podbean, and Podcast Addict. Shout out to Spotify for podcasters. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for Meryl Tudor. Shout out to the Facebook movie group, The Cinemaniacs, and last but certainly not least, shout out to the two, the reviewers, the listeners, the lovers, the supporters out there. <sighs> still got some shit in the tuck for y'all, man. I still, oh my God, I'm supposed to drop a commentary today. This derailed, I'm not gonna lie, man, I had I had a schedule. I had a schedule set up for y'all, and I, I've decided that I think I'm going to, I don't know if I said this shit yesterday, but um, I am going to probably make Monday my commentary days, Tuesday, uh, Monday and Wednesday, the commentary days. And, uh, you know, Tuesday and Thursday will be the trailer days. Friday will be commentary days. Saturday and Sunday, unless it's episodes like these breaking news or, or trailers that I feel like absolutely have to get out there um if it's a movie that i'm just crazy about or just impressed by then yeah saturday and sunday will be those days but i think saturday and sunday are going to be days where i just completely lock in and just you know if i'm not uh you know super booed up with the missus or having daddy daughter weekend then those will probably be the days where i just completely space out and just record 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 like i said i'm trying to get back to having some shit in the tuck for y'all so that you know uh i can get myself on a particular schedule man i'm trying to be more efficient and professional with this shit man i'm doing this for for y'all man i'm actually wearing a bow tie in uh you know in remembrance of of paul rubin's character Wee herman i'm wearing a bow tie right now because i'm trying to you know be more business oriented and have a schedule together for y'all i'm lying about the bow tie i don't even wear that shit how do you tie a bow tie i'm not sure i i can't you know, I, I suck at tie and regular ties, man. But bow ties, no. But recipe, shout out to Paul Rubens. Um, and another thing, people, I don't know if I have already mentioned this either, but I'm going to say it again if I have. The Twisted Metal commentary. I know I've been talking about it and posting about it. And um, there's been some people giving me feedback on how much they liked it. I know people are reviewing it and doing reaction videos. What I'm going to do, I'm going to give this this uh, this series time to marinate. is 10 episodes of... Um, you know, season one, I'm a few episodes in as far as the commentary goes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cap the rest of the season off this week, but I am not going to release those commentaries at all until I'm done all 10 episodes. So I can put myself again on one of them schedules and release it accordingly. But I'm not disappointed as far as Twisted Metal goes. I will definitely tell you all that. I'm hoping that it only gets better. I hope they end up, you know, they end on a good note and I hope it's a banger so that we can kind of classify that as one of the better video game adaptations out there, man. I'm still waiting. You know, speaking of video game adaptations, we know Street Fighter's coming from the guys, uh, you know, the Raka Raka guys on YouTube. That'll be very interesting to see a Street Fighter reboot. Um, I'm still waiting on. 
You know, I'm still waiting for the little guys, man. I'm waiting on Toe Jam and Earl. I'm waiting on Arrow the Acrobat. I'm waiting on Nights into Dreams. I'm waiting on, you know, give me Yo Noid, man. Give me the little guys. I know the, all you PlayStation fans out there are waiting on Crash Bandicoot. I Listen, the video game, man, we need Castlevania. We need a live-action Castlevania. I think James Wan was said to, you know, direct one of those years ago. And I think Nicolas Cage was going to be in that. And I was like, you know, after I saw Renfield and heard that news, I'm like, yeah. I, I definitely would have watched a James Wan, you know, Castlevania. I'm, you know, speaking of and speaking of more video games, fighting games, Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter aren't the only fucking fighting games out here. I know there's a Tekken, unfortunately, there's a Tekken movie out here somewhere. Uh, I'm scared to even watch it. I think I watched one epi- uh, episode, one scene on YouTube where Eddie was fighting. Eddie's the guy that I think that was introduced in Tekken 3 who who was doing Capoeira. And, I, you know... I, y'all know I love that movie Only the Strong with Mark Costco's Banana Way. If if you don't know it as Only the Strong, you know that shit's called Banana Way. But Eddie is doing the fighting style from that movie Only the Strong, man. So he was in that one scene I saw on YouTube, and it's like, is this a good movie or am I just giving Eddie a pass? I don't know. But fuck the Tekken movie, man. Can we get Soul Calibur movie, a live action movie? Can we get Fatal Fury? Can we get Eternal Champions? Let's get Chloe Zhao, since people didn't like the Eternals, have her do Eternal Champions. You know, have her keep that word in there just to piss people off and have her make some of the most diverse casting and characters you've ever seen in a video game adaptation. I'm all for it. I need Chloe Zhao to make that happen, man. But People, y'all already know, love, support that y'all show me, I show it back to y'all tenfold and then some. So with that being said, people, yours truly, Romero Tudor, another episode of Tudor Reviews in the can. I'll check y'all on the next